0: Of okay. I'm, I, I, I don't understand. know it, 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 if, in your mouth, that's a promise or a threat, or a threat but I, I it, prefer it, to take it as a it, promise. It, 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 it's, merely, it's merely a
1: comment. And if you were persuaded that you were the person to stop Marine Le Pen becoming the next French president, would you stand?
0: I don't want to enter into such a discussion. Today I work as a Minister of Economy in this government. I work very hard because I want to deliver for my country. And I launch this movement because I think we have to go beyond. And we have to deliver much more, full stop. But and the question of person
1: I ex- will will arrive at the end. I accept all of that. But do you really think the president Hollande can win another term?
0: I think you are one year before the election is much too far. It's very tough in all our countries to govern today. I think that if he decides very bold decision, if he explain what he's doing, it, it, it definitely could. Could be in a situation
1: to win. You rule nothing out yourself.
0: No, I think one
2: of the issues that we're facing are quite simply this: we lost office in 2010 on the back of a financial crisis brought about by the banking collapse in the USA and consequent collapse here. It was brought about by crazy investments, by the subprime mortgage crisis, by the greed of bankers, by the lack of regulation. It was brought about by a whole lot of circumstances. It was not caused by the alleged overpayment of nurses, street cleaners, factory workers or anybody else. It was not brought about by the benefit system or the cost of the National Health Service. And we were told the only way forward was to set an arbitrary date to move back into budget surplus, an arbitrary date by which we'd pay down the debt, Instantly, the debt has gone up under George Osborne, not down, and that uh, as a result there would have to be austerity. Austerity being cuts in public expenditure, loss of several hundred thousand jobs in the civil service, wage freeze for public sector workers, cuts in benefits, cuts in the living standard of the poorest, freeze on council house building virtually throughout most of the country. And I'm shocked every time I see somebody sleeping on the streets. I'm shocked when I go to flats and houses around the country where children are growing up in grossly overcrowded conditions. I'm shocked when families view the onset of the school summer holiday with dread and horror. Because their children will no longer get a free school meal and possibly a free school breakfast. There is something deeply wrong about a country and a society that is prepared to, to accept and tolerate the levels of inequality, desperation, destitution, and poverty that exist in modern Britain. We don't need. It. We don't. To go down the agenda set. By I voted street against the Afghanistan war, the Iraq war, and I was one of the organizers of that million strong march. And we had massive meetings here in Liverpool against that Iraq war. When wars are over, the victors write the history, the victors decide who's won, and the victors tell the rest of the world who's won. What they don't usually tell you is who's lost. And I tell you who's lost those desperate people in refugee camps in Lebanon, those desperate people in refugee camps in Libya, those desperate people dying in the Mediterranean, and indeed some of those desperate people in Calais, which the Prime Minister described as a swarm. Can we stop being... Can we stop being... A world of brutality, can we stop being a world of condemnation of people? When somebody is desperate, they do desperate things. Cannot we be humans and reach out to those humans and try and help them, not condemn them. And so my ideas, they're not easy, they're not simple, but A world based on the aspiration of decency, human rights and justice rather than nuclear weapons and the ability to destroy is something surely that's well worth striving for. Maybe there are some people that don't like us to be too well educated, don't like us to be thinking too much, don't like us to understand our history and where we've come from.
0: Let me congratulate the Prime Minister on her new role. But can we cut to the chase? Is she personally prepared to authorise a nuclear strike that could kill
3: 100,000 innocent men, women, and children? Yes. And, and I have to say to the Honourable Gentleman, the whole point of a deterrent is that our enemies need to know that we would be prepared to use it. Unlike some suggestions that we could have a nuclear deterrent but not actually be willing to use it, which came to come from the Labour Party uh, front bench, she is absolutely right. As I pointed out earlier, uh, Russia is also modernising its nuclear capability, and it would be, I think, it, it would be a dereliction of our duty in terms of our responsibility for the safety and security of the British people if we were to give up our nuclear deterrent. So, Mr. Speaker, we must send an unequivocal message to any adversary that the cost of an attack on our United Kingdom or our allies will always be far greater than anything it might hope to gain through such an attack. Only the retention of our own independent deterrent can do this. This government will never endanger the security of our people, and we will never hide behind the protection provided by others while claiming the mistaken virtue of unilateral disarmament.
2: Now let me turn to
3: the question of our moral duty to lead nuclear disarmament. Stopping nuclear weapons being used globally is not achieved by giving them up unilaterally. It is achieved by working towards a multilateral process. That process is important and Britain could not be doing more to support this vital work. Britain is committed to creating the conditions for a world without nuclear weapons in line with our obligations under the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. I'm just going to make some more progress. Uh, We play a leading role on disarmament verification together with Norway and America and we will continue to press for key steps towards multilateral disarmament, including the entry into force of the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty and for successful negotiations on a fissile material cut-off treaty. Furthermore, we are committed to retaining the minimum amount of destructive power needed to deter any aggressor. We've cut our nuclear stockpiles by over half since their Cold War peak in the late 1970s. Last year, we delivered on our commitment to reduce the number of deployed warheads on each submarine from 48 to 40 we will retain no more than 120 operationally available warheads and we will further reduce our stockpile of nuclear weapons to no more than 180 warheads by the middle of the next decade. But Britain has approximately 1% of the 17,000 nuclear weapons in the world. For us to disarm unilaterally would not significantly change the calculations of other nuclear states, nor those seeking to acquire such weapons. To disarm unilaterally would not make us safer nor would it make the use of nuclear weapons less likely. In fact, it would have the opposite effect, because it would remove the deterrent that for 60 years has helped to stop others from using nuclear weapons against us. Mr. Speaker, our national interest is clear. Britain's nuclear deterrent is an insurance policy we simply cannot do without. We cannot compromise on our national security. We cannot outsource the grave responsibility we shoulder for keeping our people safe and we cannot abandon our ultimate safeguard out of misplaced idealism. That would be a reckless gamble, a gamble that would enfeeble our allies and embolden our enemies, a gamble with the safety and security of families in Britain that we must never be prepared to take. Mr Speaker, we have waited long enough. It is time to get on with building the next generation of our nuclear deterrence. It is time to take this essential decision to deter the most extreme threats to our society and preserve our way of life for generations to come, and I commend this motion to the House.
1: our two countries at the moment which is the future of the Hinckley Point nuclear power station because we had thought that, that was more less a done deal, but Ségolène Royal has suggested that because of huge debt, that will burden EDF with, and this is no longer something that's definitely going to
0: happen, that is it's not certain. What's your perspective now? We are actively working with the company, and I had a series of discussion with my counterparts in your government, is on the technicalities of the deal, to finalise, precisely, um, final points of the agreement so but well, the we... political commitments is complete commitment is completely confirmed we back in clipton's projects it's very important for france it's very important for nuclear sector and edf now we have to work to finalize the work and especially the technical and industrial work very closely with edf with the british government to be in a situation to sign in the coming Week for month. So it's going to happen? That's my view and that's our perspective because I think it's very very important for our commitment to nuclear energy and I think that's your choice and that's our choice. Now you have a new
1: movement, En Marche. Tell me about En Marche. What's it for? Where's it marching to?
0: Straightforward (laughs) and for the country. (laughs) Look, En Marche is, is indeed a new movement.